Take your Wi-Fi further with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity. With fast speeds and reliable coverage, home just got even sweeter with the Xfinity 10G network. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. From KQED. From KQED in San Francisco, I'm Alexis Madrigal. What is service to a community? Can't always define it, but I know it when I see it. And if you went up to the top floor of the Oakland Public Library, you'd find Dorothy Lazar, doyenne of Oakland history, willing to help anyone who came through the door with a genuine interest in learning. Her era as the head of the Oakland History Center came to a close at the end of December. She joins us to talk about what she accomplished. And then... We'll remember Maya Angelou's groundbreaking 1968 KQED TV series, Blacks, Blues, Black. She'll be the first black woman immortalized on a quarter, the U.S. Mint announced last week. That's all coming up next on our MLK Day show after this news. Welcome to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. If I've learned anything in the years that I've been a journalist in the Bay Area, it's that on questions of Oakland history, there is one and only one source of truth. And that source is Dorothy Lazard. She spent decades at our region's libraries, both at Berkeley and then for 20 glorious years at the Oakland Public Library. But as she said in her retirement speech during a party in her honor, as much as she gave to OPL, it had sustained her as a young woman new to Oakland and in need of sanctuary. And uh, I would bounce from here to DeLauer's bookstore, I'm sorry, to Holmes bookstore, to DeLauer's, and then home to, in time to watch Merv Griffin, because <laughs> I love talk shows. And so um, this place to me was uh, a sanctuary. It was kind of like a temple. I could just roam around, pick any book off the shelf. Local legend and treasure, Dorothy Lazard joins us this morning from her new retirement, in which I believe she's already promised two books to publishers. Welcome, Dorothy. It's such an honor to have you on. Good morning. (laughs) Um, Um, Wow, I've never been called a doyen before. I feel so fancy. I feel like I should have a (laughs) crown on or something. That's correct, though. It's the first stole. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I want to talk to you first about what you think you accomplished at the Oakland History Center, aside from developing the legions of hashtag Dorothy Lazard fan club members? Oh, my goodness. Um, well, I know I accomplished uh, a, a high level of organization, uh, reorganized the place in, in ways that I found it to be more functional. One of my uh, big missions was to make it more of the collection, which is just so rich, such a treasure. Uh, more of that accessible to people, findable online and so forth. So uh, a big part of my recent years there was to get as much digitized as we could possibly manage given our staffing and Mm -hmm. money and all of that. Uh, But also just uh, for those uh, to put more things in people's hands, make things available. The Oakland History Center is uh, one of two reference uh, collections of the Oakland Public Library. And because it is a public li- in a public library, 
it's a department that I didn't want people to feel that they couldn't access information mm-hmm. uh, at all, you know, to make it so precious that they couldn't, you know, everything was behind a glass uh, window or something. I didn't want them to ever have that. So I always tried to practice what I call archival hospitality <laughs> there. I want to know a couple of you know, maybe artifacts, individual artifacts or whole collections that you think like this is an entry point into Oakland history or this is an entry point into living in this community that can can change people just because of the aura that some of these objects and letters and photographs have. Well, certainly our photograph collection, which is very extensive, given the tiny rooms that we have there. But um yeah, we have a very extensive photo collection, which I think for many people, that's their starting point. I want to see what the city looked like. What did it look like in the 1890s? What did it look like in the 1930s? And so um, that's always, you know, catnip to a lot of researchers. And, um, and I love it, but, you know, a photo isn't the whole story, but it is a very... Uh, engaging story. Mm-hmm. And then because I'm such a, a map head, uh, I would say the map room, our map collection is very extensive. And I think Oaklanders, well, I know Oaklanders only know a little bit about it. As popular as our map room is, um, <clears throat> there's always uh, more. Have, yeah. Or there's so much more. There's so much more that we haven't. There's tons we haven't put online. The majority of our map collection we haven't put online less than 1%, I would say. Wow. And uh, for those people who've come in and really engaged our map collection, they still don't even know how much more we have to offer. Um, and so, yeah, I love maps. Yeah. <laughs> and one of, my favorite, one of my favorite maps is an old um, Thomas Brothers map from 1931. It's really tattered and it was tattered when I got there. So don't blame, don't blame me. <laughs> but uh, we use it nearly every day, uh, always when people come in and it's the uh, annexation map. It was a uh, 1931 map that we, that someone, some previous librarian drew the boundaries of the various the five annexations that created the city of Oakland that we know that's my favorite map one of my favorite maps I have two favorite maps the other one is a 1942 uh, map showing all the stores and the parking lots and and banks and uh, of the central business district of downtown Oakland and um, it is also been annotated to show all the fallout shelters, like where could where could oh, one wow. go and hide uh, if we were indeed bombed by the Japanese or the Germans during World War II. That to me is, I don't know, whenever I open it, I just feel like somebody's rubbing my belly. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know it also, it sends weird. you back to that moment, imagining holding that map in 1942, thinking to yourself, okay, all right, we're going to go over to 17th and Broadway. That's what's going to happen. Right. We're going to hide in the basement of the T&D movie theater or something like that. Yeah. So, <clears throat> you know, everyone who does scholarly or creative work about Oakland comes to you sooner or later. And 
In a conversation with uh, Pendarvis Harsha, uh, I guess it was last year, maybe a couple years ago, you said that as a black woman and a holder of so much knowledge, you also felt an enormous responsibility to act as a, quote, cultural guardian. So what did you mean by that? Well, um, as long as we've been in this country, I still feel like black history isn't mainstream history. You know, we, we are still having academic battles over it. Uh, we uh, see people really get exercised about the notion of having ethnic studies. And so when people of color, African-Americans are in positions of access and archival responsibility, I feel like uh, we have to represent, as the kids say, we have to be there to, you know, I've never worked in a library in my career um, where I didn't build out uh, an African-American collection of some kind, because, you know, if I'm there, I need to be on the shelves as well. You know, I, there needs to be some representation. And that's true for every librarian. You know, every librarian um, uh, puts their thumbprint on their collection. Yeah. You know, the things that they find most useful, the things that they feel people should know about a particular population. I'll give you an example. When I was uh, managing the uh, women's studies, what was for all intents and purposes, the women's studies library at UC Berkeley, uh, rest in peace, by the way, um, every, I could tell every successive uh, incarnation of that library hmm. based on the books and when they were acquired you know at first it was a displaced homemaker center and you could tell the library in there and then there was a lesbian library and then that collection got built out then i was there and then the people of color uh books uh expanded you know we got more of those and so um we are librarians in general are if they have subject specialties, they build out, and not in any kind of uh, political way. I just feel particularly public librarians are people who are very aware of how their collections represent the communities that they work in. And for me, um, it is a responsibility. It's not something that I would, uh, you know, given the way we're taught history, it's not something that I would assume that um, a white librarian is going to do in the same way that I'm going to do it. I mean, during this particular time of really enormous change across the Bay Area, but particularly in Oakland and even more particularly in Black Oakland, how significant do you think it's been to have a Black librarian of your stature kind of in that role in the Oakland History Room? Uh, it, I think it's been huge um, for um, ways that have been very inspiring to people, but also for ways, I have to admit, that have been kind of troubling to people. And what I mean by that is, um, first of all, I've, I'm the first person of color to run the Oakland History Center, which has been around it was Oakland History Room since 78. Um, and then before that, uh, we 
we've had a collection since the 20s in the in the main library history collection and um and i'm the first person of color to run it and i think it's i think it's really important for people to see people of color in the field of librarianship in general not just um the oakland history room um because we are still um a minority in this uh, predominantly white profession. But um, I, I thought it was really important because another aspect of our city's history um, is being told and built out. And I think people felt welcome, not to say that people who were not black didn't feel welcome, but, uh, um, but I thought it was inspiring to, to a lot of people. Um, and because it was inspiring, I was super self-conscious about it when I first got the job <laughs> because it was so public. You know, I remember uh, there was some coverage in Oakland Magazine and then somebody else in the Chronicle wanted to interview me. And it's just like, what? I just <laughs> want to do my job. We're talking so, to yeah. the former head librarian of the Oakland History Center who just retired, Dorothy Lazard. And we want to hear from you. What's your favorite bit? of Oakland history or what's a moment in Oakland history that you think deserves more light. Give us a call now, 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. Already got some comments in from Twitter and Facebook. We're KQED Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. Stay tuned for more with Dorothy Lazard after the break. At Star One Credit Union, everything they do is in your best interests. They want to make banking easy and help your money grow. So Star One invests in technology to provide you with the best digital banking experience. Need a mortgage, auto, or solar loan? Their rates are stellar. At Star One, they're all about building lasting relationships by providing financial products and services that put you first. Become a member at StarOne.org or drop by any of their Bay Area locations. Star One Credit Union in your best interest. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. We're joined by the legend, the former head librarian of the Oakland History Center, Dorothy Lazard. Uh, Dorothy, some years back, you wrote an essay on public service as a librarian. But it's also, and it's also really about the role that libraries play now. And I just wanted to read our audience just a, a teensy bit of this really remarkable essay, uh, just quoting you. As the last truly democratic space in America where there are no entry fees, judgments, or barriers, public libraries offer a tour of our society's ills and ill. We library workers are in practical terms, surrogates for shuttered schools, parks, hospitals, and homes, and we know we are hopelessly unqualified to treat what ails many of the people who pass through our doors. Given these conditions, Dorothy, what do you do? What do we do? Yeah. Um, you know, you mean daily or what do we do? As yeah, a I guess for you, like, just how did you, how, how do you go keep going back to this challenge? Knowing it's, you can't fix it. You can ameliorate it. You can, you can serve people, but you can't ever get to the kind of root causes that are driving people into the libraries in this way. Yeah, it's, it's tough. Um, you know, public libraries are, or any space that is free, as I said in that essay years ago, um, you know, 
public libraries are, are we're the kind of canary in the coal mine. Uh, we are pretty much right. It has it's in in our face. It's in our face. Uh, all of the society problems that we have, we can find them in the public library. And how do we deal with it? We uh, very cautiously, we deal with it because we're really ill-equipped as I tried to illustrate in that um, essay. We're really ill-equipped to handle all the problems that uh, a librarian will face every day. Uh, it's really hard for us to stay focused on our work as librarians when there are so many other needs that need to be met. Uh, you know, people are unhoused, people are, you know, there's some um, part of the, our regulars who come into the library who are um, kind of mentally challenged. Uh, they may have some kind of act behaviors that make the library really unpleasant place to uh, be during the day. So, um, and it's tough for us to try to figure out how to, you know, deal with people who are uh, unpleasant or just really, I'm just thinking of some of our more recent um, altercations that we've had. Um, but it, it's something, you know, we become these kind of uh, not necessarily social workers, but we do develop as librarians or anybody working with the public, not just librarians. We do learn these skills on how to deal with people who might be confrontational mm -hmm. or dysregulated. I actually, on my walk yesterday, I ran into one of our patrons who uh, used to come up in the history room with a huge stack of books and, and a lot of disjointed conversation. Mm -hmm. uh, but it's, it's about being patient and being respectful. And uh, we learn how to handle different things, but it's becoming, I find, uh, much more um, difficult for me. I find it much more difficult to um, work in that very public space because unlike uh, a university library or a private library, anybody could come into um, the public library and bring with them all manner of challenges that yeah. we are as librarians unable um, to manage. Yeah, yeah. Let's, and it's, it's gotten kind of scary, actually, to be honest yeah, with you. Yeah. We've got some people who'd like to talk some history with you and mm -hmm. uh, Oakland History Center. Uh, let's bring in first uh, Tim from Berkeley. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Good morning. Um, good morning. How are you this morning? I'm fine. Um, I just want to bring up one of the reasons that I love the Oakland Library and the Oakland History Room in the Oakland Library. I'm an ex-journalist and wrote a long piece about the Old Can Brewery and its former incarnation. And I wound up just write, starting writing about that. But then I went to the Oakland Library History Room and suddenly I was writing history of beer brewing and manufacturing in Oakland simply by going to the Oakland History Library Room and discovering copies 
of histories about different breweries in the city in folders with photocopies and pictures of maps and layouts and all things non-digital. I wouldn't have found this online. It was there in front of me in this beautiful wooden room, and it was just the most wonderful research experience I pretty much have ever had. There was nothing digital about it. It was everything about the paper, the looking at the history, finding the history, stumbling across stuff in a new folder. Next thing I know, what was supposed to be a thousand word article turned into this like 10,000 word monster that my <laughs> editor wanted to skill, kill me for and got most of it in um, from uh, <clears throat> the Edible East Bay. So I just wanted to say thank you. I love that place and I love the feel of it. And I love librarians. So that's uh, that's all I had. Hey, thank you, Tim. Thank you so much. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> I, I gave you a warm fuzzy. <laughs> I couldn't agree more about all those things, actually. Um, let's, uh, we've got another uh, history queer here. Allison in San Ramon. Welcome to the show. Thank you. So nice to hear this program. I would love to hear you speak to the key route system of local transport. I have walked through the neighborhoods in um, Temescal, I think, is where they're most obvious, but they ran up to Albany. And you can see markers in the street that say this is the location of the former train system. So I'd love to hear more about that. Oh, yeah. And Good. a related question is all the hidden staircases that go through neighborhoods. Thank well, you, I could. Yeah. Thank oh, you. Yeah, I'm happy to take this answer off the air and okay, listen great. on the radio. Thanks. Thanks so much. I love this program. <laughs> Thank you, Allison. Well, I could suggest two books for you, Allison. Uh, one is uh, there's the staircases of the East Bay. I think I got that title right, which yeah, you could check right. out from the Oakland Public Library. And then, of course, about the key root system, Vernon Sapper's encyclopedic book about the key root system. He covers every line, gives a genealogy of how the, of all the various uh, transit companies that existed prior to the key root uh, system, and um, and and covers every single line with maps and tons of photographs and. Uh, you know, Alexis said, uh, asked me about the treasures. Certainly, Vernon Sapper's uh, book on the key route streetcars, which I think is the title. I'm really bad with titles, despite my long career in libraries. <laughs> um, that is, you know, if the place caught fire, that 1942 fallout shelter map and Vernon Sapper's That's book, what's coming out under your arms. That's what I'm <laughs> grabbing first, you know. We all have to have emergency exit plans, and that's what I would grab first. As I said, it's very encyclopedic, so it's very heavy. But uh, we do have that book in the Oakland History Center. Yeah. So uh, go and check it out. Um, we have another listener who tweets that they would like to hear more about or learn more about how they could learn more about BART construction and how station placement decisions were made, for example, why no Jack London Square Station? Interesting. Um, we have in the, oh, well, the Oakland History Center, I keep forgetting <laughs> I'm retired. Uh, the Oakland History Center has an entire, not in, it's not comprehensive, I'm sure, 
but we have a very extensive BART archive with clippings and brochures and, and uh, uh, BART documents going back to the 1940s uh, before BART, a BART train ever existed. Uh, the plans to make uh, BART and its construction and um, arranged by decade. Uh, we have scrapbooks that somebody did this very extensive scrapbooking project uh, while BART was being constructed. And uh, one of our folders in that collection is on stations and how they decided where the stations would be. So uh, again, I encourage that uh, caller or mm -hmm. listener, <laughs> listener to, um, to um, go into the history room and ask Emily Foster if she could uh, direct them to the BART archive. You know, my other uh, little bit of advice is you can also go over to the San Francisco History Room, where a lot of the Bay Area Council, which, you know, was a bunch of San Francisco elites who helped fund the bond measure that became BART, they also have um, some of their early drawings and maps, actually these incredibly beautiful mid-century <laughs> designed uh, maps and brochures. And so when I was looking into some of these similar questions, I had a lot of fun looking through their plans before the actual construction, before the bond, and you can get a sense of, um, you know, how, how much space and contingency there was and how much, you know, that's just what was going to happen. Like those lines on an engineering level made sense. Um, let's bring in uh, Nancy from Walnut Creek. Yes, hi. Um, I have been involved for many years with a uh, organization called the uh, German Excelsior Center, which is based at the Altenheim, which is an old folks' home uh, in the Fruitvale District um, on Excelsior Avenue. I think it's the other cross street is, is MacArthur between those two. It's a very large uh, building for old folks. And I believe it was originally built. It's over 100 years old. It was originally built for the Germans in the German community who were getting old and they needed a place to live. And I was wondering um, uh, if you were, if you knew anything about this, and um, if you had any any uh, anything to say about it as well. Um, I know that there is a lot of uh, German uh, in regard to this. They have a lot of stuff that ha that has been donated and is part of the like newspaper articles and newspapers mm -hmm. um, from the from the era when the Altenheim was built. And they're having a hard time kind of deciding what to do with it. Um, they mm -hmm. want to have a his their own little museum, et cetera, et cetera. And I was wondering if you perhaps had any advice mm. as to what they should do with all that um, really important material for the history of Oakland and the Altenheim. And I also finally wanted to congratulate you on your retirement. Good luck. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thanks um, for that, Nancy. Well, certainly the quick answer, um, and I guess if you, uh, Nancy, if you could put some information in the chat, or I don't know how we're doing this. Um, maybe I can get in touch with you offline about archiving those um, materials. Great. So yeah, I, yeah, that, I guess I, would I, make... just, I would do that by email. So would I email that via forum? Yeah, uh, we'll um, like... we'll hook you guys up. Don't worry about it. We'll we'll, yeah. we'll take care okay. of that part. Just make sure you give the producers your uh, your email address, and we'll, we can take care of that. Because the short answer is, don't throw it away. Don't throw it away until don't throw anything away. <laughs> don't throw anything away. Um. 
I, you know, more uh, listener uh, comments coming in. Um, this is kind of a fun one. Janet writes, I have relatives who helped settle Oakland in the early 1900s. Is there material I could look through to find out more about them? So kind of early Oakland history, maybe I'm thinking pre-1906 there. Um, where would somebody go for, for more information on that? Well, um, well, the people who settled Oakland, that would be in the 1850s, not the 1900s. So uh, maybe are we doing family genealogy? Yeah, maybe something like that. Uh, they would need to come in and or you can email the History Center and ask a number of questions and Emily will attack those questions. Uh, yeah, you can uh, send an email to eanswers at oaklandlibrary.org and um, ask your reference questions remotely. Yeah. So um, we have city directories to uh, consult and um, you can certainly use ancestry.com for free in the public libraries. So that's one way to approach it. Yeah. That's cool. You know, I, I wanted to get your sense on the future of the city and our region. I mean, what do you think your immersion in this history has taught you about how to think about the kind of change that Oakland and the Bay Area are going through right now? Well, you, I, I think the quick answer is we have to kind of look at cities in a different way. I think, um, especially now, uh, because, you know, the city is an organism. I don't want to say it's an orgasm, although Oakland is quite a lot of fun, but, <laughs> uh, but it's this living, breathing thing. And uh, we can't look at it as uh, a thing that will never change. It's not this immutable thing. So, for me, it's taught me uh, that the city is going to continuously evolve. We are in a state of radical change and we have to get used to what it is currently now, at least for a time before it changes again. Um, so that's one thing that had, my work at the History Center has taught me. Um, but just you know, to change, I guess basically, to change how we think of the city uh, and our relationship to the city. Do you think like so, Oakland or like just the cities that we currently have in the Bay Area that were created at a particular time, do you think that's sort of the right political or geographic level where we can actually solve some of these problems? When I think about, you know, Oakland's black community, it's now been dispersed across the entire Bay region and all the way mm -hmm. up to Sacramento. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. It, it's difficult. It's something that I uh, am kind of dealing with personally, just as an Oaklander, um, trying to figure out how can you salvage uh, or preserve a community or community identity when the community is being continuously dispersed. Uh, how do we hold place when we have this kind of really uh, punitive 
uh, aggressive form of capitalism having to do with, uh, you know, incredibly high rates of, you know, just the cost of living here is out of control. And um, so how do we hold space when we um, are being kind of having to, we are being required to deal with so many economic and political and social uh, changes that are happening in our city. Um, so that's something that we're constantly having to negotiate. You know, this isn't the first time that there's been a huge demographic shift in the city. You know, when I, when my family first moved to Oakland, uh, you know, white people were scattering out of a, a, a big chunks mm -hmm. of Oakland. So, um, so there's always been this movement and, um, we have to continue to engage the city government and educate ourselves about how a city works and what its motivation is. Um, since we're talking about oh, our- Dorothy, uh, gonna have to sorry. cut in. Unfortunately, sorry. just wanna make sure I thank you so much. Oh, Dorothy Lazard, former thank head you. librarian thank of the Oakland you. History Center. Thanks so much I for coming on. I was going down a rabbit hole, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, Dorothy. Stay tuned for more Forum after the break. At Star One Credit Union, everything they do is in your best interests. They want to make banking easy and help your money grow. So Star One invests in technology to provide you with the best digital banking experience. Need a mortgage, auto, or solar loan? Their rates are stellar. At Star One, they're all about building lasting relationships by providing financial products and services that put you first. Become a member at StarOne.org or drop by any of their Bay Area locations. Star One Credit Union, in your best interest. You see the world as you experience it, but you can only experience so much firsthand. That's where the BBC comes in. Think of them as providers of information and inspiration, entertainment and engagement, and stories that connect us beyond borders. They don't care if they tell a story first, so long as they're the first to tell it right. Because the best stories don't tell you what to think. They're made to make you think. Get the world's stories on the new BBC.com. Hey, KQED listeners. I'm right now as podcast host, Pendarvis Harshaw, dropping a line to invite you to a summer evening of live contemporary jazz at the KQED headquarters in San Francisco, Thursday, June 20th at 7 p.m. We've got a stacked lineup of dope musicians, including vocalist Jamie Z, saxophonist Lydia Rodriguez, and harpist Destiny Muhammad. And Newsflash is the closing event for our podcast. We've had a great run, so help us celebrate the end of this chapter. Get tickets to Liner Notes Live at kqed.org slash events. <laughs> 